Sunday night, September 9th, 2001, my wife Emily and I were uh, so blessed because we had a church member who had been so generous and gave us tickets to see the Phantom of the Opera at the Fox Theater in Atlanta. And uh, we made a big night of it. We went to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse beforehand. This was, this was not normal for us. It was a big night. And it's funny how you remember things. I remember the suit and tie I was wearing. And it was, it was like a dream night. And 36 hours later, our world turned into a nightmare. And I was on my way to my second class at seminary. I was in seminary at the time. And uh, somebody told us about a plane that had hit a building in New York. And then during that class, we heard about a second plane. And all of a sudden, 9-11 became real. And I just remember being so shaken and going home and everything stopped and we watched the TV and we watched the tragedy and we watched our president and we watched our fellow Americans and we wept. And I remember late that night on September 11th, I remember uh, Emily went to bed and I was just so enthralled watching the coverage. I just couldn't stop. And it was dark in the house except for the TV and I heard a kind of one of those knocks in the night and I just remember a chill went down my spine because I just had this, well, I know, I know it was an irrational thought, but I thought, are the terrorists coming for me too? I was worried. Every American was worried. When Sandy Hook happened, I had two children in elementary school and two children in preschool. What in the world had our, our, our world come to for someone to walk into an elementary school and kill our babies? The church I was pastoring at the time met in a high school. It could have been our town. It could have been our school. And I remember the weird feeling the next time I put my boys on that school bus to send them to school where they're supposed to be safe. And I was worried. And every parent was worried. I was at a conference. When I walked into the hotel room and I saw a picture on the CV screen of my friend and classmate, Reverend Clementa Pinckney, his smile, you, you couldn't miss, it lit up the room, and if you could have just heard his voice, this booming southern baritone voice, we were both in a church leadership program together in a seminary, uh, getting a postgraduate degrees in training. He was a sweet soul of a man. He was pastor of Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And when my friend Clementa was leading a Bible study at his church, they welcomed somebody into their Bible study who was a stranger who shot and killed them all. And I taught Bible studies in my church. And we always welcomed people. And what if somebody came into our church and did that? I was worried. 
and every pastor in America was worried. This week, we took our staff on Tuesday morning to a staff fun day. We had a blast. Wednesday night, we had Bible study here at church. And then on Thursday night, we had an incredible night of worship. And maybe your week was like mine. It started off pretty normal. And then it got not normal real quick. And we'd probably all be lying if we didn't say that at some point this week, especially as the week progressed, uh, we began to worry. We're worried about our health. You probably had a moment like me where you coughed or sneezed and you just began to ask yourself, uh-oh, is it the pollen or am I sick? Like really sick. Maybe you had a moment like me Friday when we have, have had these unusually warm temperatures and I was at a meeting Friday morning and I was sweating and I began to think, oh no, do I have a fever or have they just not turned on the air condition because it's almost 80 degrees outside and the good news was it was just hot in there. <laughs> And you probably had some of those same concerns and same worries, or maybe you're worried about some parents or some grandparents whom you love and you don't want them to get infected. Or maybe you're worried about a loved one who is taking chemo or their immune system is already compromised. Or maybe you've got a loved one in the medical field who's working long hours, or you've got a loved one who can't make it back to the States. Or maybe you're worried because you've got a wedding planned or the impact that this is going to have on your business or the weight of decisions that you've got to make for your organization or what in the world are we going to do with children for three and four weeks in this house. Maybe you have no concerns and no worries about COVID-19, but you're just worried about a world who seems driven on hysteria and panic. Maybe you're worried because you think this will get a Democrat elected. Or maybe you're worried that you, you think that this will make President Trump get reelected. Maybe you're worried that the media is making too big a deal about this. Or maybe you're worried about people not making a big enough deal about it. But here's, here's what's different. This time it's not Americans, it's not parents, and it's not pastors. This time it's all of us. All eight billion of us are worried about a virus that can jump oceans and knows no borders. And at the very least, it's disrupted our lives in an unprecedented way. So yesterday, all day yesterday, I began to think about the book of Matthew. We call it a gospel. It's, a, it's an account of Matthew's perspective on Jesus's life and he was an eyewitness he was one of Jesus's disciples and if you got your Bibles we're going to kind of camp out in chapter 6 and in that section of Matthew 6 Jesus talks a lot about worry and this is so critical for us because we're we're people of faith and here but here's what I know that the opposite of worry the opposite of faith isn't unbelief. A lot of people think, well, I have faith and you just don't believe. The opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith isn't fear. The opposite of faith 
is worry. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're sitting there at home, and this has been such a crazy 24, 48 hours. And, you get, and you're saying, like, how could we not worry? How in the world, why shouldn't we worry? And how can we not worry when the whole world has worried in this season? Well, right before Jesus talks about worry, he's preached his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and then he has preached on prayer. His disciples ask him how to pray, and he has preached uh, and taught us what we call the Lord's Prayer. And then he takes a turn as, uh, as if he understands what we really all struggle with. And preachers for hundreds of years, and I've used this too, millions of preachers have used this scripture to talk about money and possessions. And sure, it's about that, but really it's about so much more. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. He says it this way, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Do you know what viruses do? They hijack your cells. They're kind of thieves. That's what they do. That's how they operate. But come on, come on. We got a million things that hijack our lives, right? I mean, at the very least, this virus has hijacked your way of life. It's stolen your routine and what is normal. But we got a lot of things that hijack our lives. We, we, the pursuit of success, the pursuit of, of wealth, wanting to be liked by our neighbors or wanting to be liked by our classmates or wanting to be liked maybe even by our kids or coworkers, looking to see if we got another like, another follow, another share. And Jesus says that this world is a bad bet to bank your treasure on. In fact, I think this is the way Jesus would say it, that if, your treasure, if you treasure a broken world, you're bound to get a broken heart. Like if you put your treasure in this world, Jesus says, then when there your heart will be also. And the problem is, if you put your treasure, if, you, if, you, if your whole being if your is in this world, then your heart's gonna be in this world. And it's bound to get broken. If you treasure a broken world and the things of this world, you're bound to get a broken heart because people will let you down. Stock markets will drop. Companies will have massive layoffs and viruses will disrupt our existence in a way we've never seen. Nothing on earth is safe from the brokenness of this world, even March madness and one shining moment. And even Sunday morning church. And then Jesus unpacks how there is proof that our treasure is in this world. The proof is, because we, we would always say like, oh, no, 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 I'm, that's not me. I'm not, I'm, my treasure's not in this world. And Jesus would go, really? Tell me what you're worried about. Jesus would say like, do you want to know how I know that you guys struggle with this? Because you worry about stuff. 
And the only reason you worry is because I know that there is something going on in your life where you are treasuring this world instead of the next. And Jesus says it this way. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body. Gosh, it's hard not to worry about our bodies right now. What you will wear is not life more than food. It's not life and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet our heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And then Jesus says one of the most powerful lines in this whole passage. Can any one of you by worrying, add a single hour to your life. In other words, in other words, I mean, what do you think worrying is going to do? What do you think worrying is going to accomplish? Have you ever added an hour to your life? What good is it doing? What if you prayed, Jesus might say, instead of worrying because he just taught on prayer? What if you prayed instead of worried? Worry doesn't change anything but your insides. It doesn't change outcomes. Who knows what the next two or three weeks are gonna look like in our world? Who knows? I have no idea, none of us know. We have no idea what kind of impact it's gonna have on us financially or relationally or emotionally. Well, what will worrying do about it? What exactly will worrying accomplish? That would be what Jesus would say. Now, not, but here's what we say, but come on Jesus. Don't worry about life. Like, this is my life we're talking about, Jesus. I mean, what do, you, what do you mean don't worry? How can we not worry when all we turn on and see is fear and panic? I'm worried. How could we not worry? And Jesus would say this. Here's why you're not worried. Here's why you don't have to worry about your life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You, you have little faith, Jesus says. Little faith. So don't worry, saying what shall I eat and what shall I drink and what shall I wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. God knows the true needs of your life. He's a good father. And it sounds so elementary, but this is the point of what Jesus wants to say. If God takes care of the flowers and the birds, he's going to take care of you because the flowers and the birds were not made in his image. You were. And I'll bet while you're watching right now, you can see a little bit of your reflection in the screen. That reflection, you. You were made in his image. And Jesus said, how can you have such little faith? Don't you know this? Don't you, don't you, don't you, don't you realize this? Now that doesn't mean that we should be foolish, but it means that we should stop worrying about external things that we can't control. That's what people in the world do. 
I mean, listen, if you want to find people who are worried about external things they can't control, just open Twitter, right? Just, I mean, just turn on the news. Just open your, your social media. But that's, not what, that's not, not what God's children do because we're not made for this world. Jesus said it this way. So this is how he says, this is how you change the game of glory. But he could have said, instead, therefore, I mean, that's really the point here. But instead of worrying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. All the external stuff will take care of itself if you will do the internal work. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What Jesus is saying is that you get one card to play. You get to choose what comes first. You get to prioritize your life. And if you set your heart on a broken world and worry about it and worry about what tragedy comes next, Jesus says, no, don't do that. The antidote to that to this constant worry in this 24-7 news cycle of always the next thing is putting the kingdom first because only the kingdom lasts. And what I think Jesus would want us to hear today, the word that I think Jesus would want to share with us in this is that seeking life in the Father's world changes the way we see life in our world. It doesn't make the world go away. It, it doesn't erase worries. It doesn't do away with the problems. Jesus said, every, you know, listen, every day has got enough trouble of its own. It's going to happen. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's going to happen anyway. But seek first the kingdom. If you seek life in the Father's world, it will change the way we see life in this world. I can't control what happens in my world. I can worry sick about it. I can worry about loved ones. I can worry about money and health and viruses and a million other things, but I cannot add a single hour to my life or make a dent in history, but I can 100% seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now that's no small task. Because so, I mean, so here's some ways to do that. The kingdom says we put others first, so I can choose to put others first. That's the way to seek the kingdom. The kingdom says to love your neighbor as yourself, so I can love my neighbor as myself. I can choose to do that. The kingdom, the kingdom says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, with all your body. And maybe there's a way that you haven't been seeking his righteousness with deep in your heart or your emotions or deep in your soul. Or maybe there's a way you haven't been seeking his righteousness with your body or a way that you haven't been seeking his righteousness in your mind. But you can choose to do that. I can choose to seek his righteousness by studying his word and, and meeting God in prayer. The kingdom says that we're supposed to forgive 70 times 7. I can choose to forgive over and over again. Here's what I want to tell you. This is why this is so important. There are going to be 
so many things that happen in the next week or two or three that you have no control over and you got no say in. Government leaders are going to choose what you can and can't do. Right? Community organizers are going to cancel events that you wanted to happen. Your schedule is going to be disrupted in such a way that you got little say in. There are going to be so many things and you don't even have a say on whether or not you get sick in the next few weeks. But you get to choose who you are. You get to choose if you will seek first the kingdom. And you can be someone who is stuck in the worries of this world and we got plenty to worry about. Just look around. Or you can be someone who is seeking the kingdom, who sees things differently in this world. And this matters because you weren't made for this world. You were made for another world. We call it eternal life. And if you're new and you're listening, I so want you to ex uh, experience this life. I so believe that this life is a world that isn't broken. It's a new heaven and a new earth where there is no more death. But here's what I want you to know. I don't think you have to wait to receive this eternal life. I don't think you have to wait. Jesus was a glimpse of this eternal life. And if you tuned in and, and you're not sure where you're at with Jesus and maybe you felt some angst and you felt some emptiness and you felt the brokenness of this world, I just want you to know that I believe that when you say yes to Jesus, you open a door to this eternal life. And it really is this simple. The foundation of our faith as Christ followers is that we believe that Jesus was crucified and his death, his death defeated the dark powers and the brokenness of this world. And it is over and done. And his resurrection three days later gave victory and claimed victory over those dark powers and the curse of death that has been over this world forever. And so this is so simple. When we trust, when we put our faith, when we put our belief in Jesus' death and resurrection that we believe that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead gives a glimpse of of eternal life in our lives and that you can have eternal life in this life and living in this broken world you can have a glimmer of something that is from another world that doesn't mean that this world goes away that doesn't mean that all our problems get solved it means as if when Christ is in our lives that they a switch gets flipped in our heart and the darkness is illuminated by eternal life and light. And when you worry, when you have that already and you worry, it's like you just flip the switch off and you invite that darkness back in.
So here's some things I want to give you that might help you reprioritize. The question I want to ask you is, how can you seek the kingdom and his righteousness first? How can you say, I'm going to seek life in the Father's world so that it will change how I see this world? Well, maybe this is an opportunity over the next two or three weeks when your schedule is completely disrupted to change some things. Like maybe if you're not having to go into work, this is a new season to set up some new habits for how you spend time with God. How you read your scriptures, how you pray. I want to tell you it's like some a new habit I've started. Uh, I've started two with my phone. Uh, number one is when I get up, my phone stays in my room for about the first 30 minutes to an hour. And I go down to my basement away from my phone and take some time just reading and journaling and praying and spending time with God without the phone. The other thing that's happened, so you know why I do that? Because I want to seek first. The first thing I do every day wants to be to not look at my feed, but sit at the feet of the master. The second thing I've done is that I begin plugging my phone up instead of right on my nightstand about six feet away from my bed. So when I go get in the bed, I do that because the last thing that I want to happen is just to kind of just be there in my soul to get still and my soul to rest. I want the first thing I seek to be Jesus and the last thing that I remember to be him. So how can you in this season start some new habits? Here's what I want you to know though. When you are tempted to worry, whether it's about this coronavirus, and I get it, it's scary stuff. Or maybe you're already worried about what life is going to be like when it gets back to normal and you're going to have so much catching up to do and you're going to be so busy. You're not alone. 22 chapters later, Matthew recorded the very last thing that Jesus said to him and his disciples and to you and me. He said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And it's a broken world with terrorists and shootings and scary viruses and company layoffs and sickness and broken relationships. It's a broken world, but I want you to know something. He is with you. So how can you seek him? How can you begin some new things? Maybe it's you just crack open that Bible these next two or three weeks. Maybe it's you start a conversation with God. Maybe it's you call someone who's a little farther along in the journey. But I want to promise you this. If you will seek life in the Father's world, it will change the way you see everything in this world. And besides, you weren't made for this world anyway. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's hard to not worry, to trust you, to believe that you're working. When we say so much darkness and brokenness and hurt around, but we just want to say we want to seek you first, a way maker, a miracle worker promise keeper. And Lord, if you said that you are with us to the very end of the age, we think that means you're with us through COVID-19. Yeah. 
We think that means you're with us while we got kids at home and we're not sure what to do. We think that means you're with us when our company is struggling, our business is struggling because of uh, this hiatus. We think that means you're with us. And Lord, if you're light in the darkness, we believe that means that you turn on a switch, that the power that was in the resurrection lights up our heart, even when we are anxious about real issues. So we cling to you. Our hope, our hope is that Jesus gives us a glimpse of another world. And Lord, we pray that even when we can't always see you working in this world, that we know you're working in a world through this world that we can't always see. So we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.